With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football Social Daily. Premier League Preview. Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Preview Show. Another busy weekend of Premier League action is just around the corner and despite the fact that this week has been dominated by talk of managers, you'd be forgiven for thinking that there's no football to look forward to this weekend. That is definitely not the case. We've got a nice even spread across Saturday and Sunday and some huge, huge games coming up at both the bottom and the top of the Premier League table. We're going to be talking about Liverpool who take on Brighton later today and the potential issues they might have with injuries we're also going to be looking at Norwich City against Freddie Jungberg. Yes, Freddie Jungberg's Arsenal. And then after the break, we're going to be talking Jose Mourinho, his Tottenham side, which also still sounds a bit strange. Welcome Bournemouth to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And then we're going to be wrapping up by looking at Leicester City, who face Everton and a very, very under pressure Marco Silva. And obviously, with such a huge amount of stuff to get through, I definitely, definitely couldn't do it on my own. My name's Fergal Brennan, and I'm joined in the studio today by Jonathan Smith. Goal.com Manchester City correspondent. Hello, Jonathan. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Good stuff. Now, Jonathan's making his debut on the show. We always like to see fresh faces and, and a debutant. How are you settling in so far? First few minutes, how are you getting on? Oh, we'll see how it goes. Oh, <laughs> I'll well, that at the end of the show. That's always a good start for a debut. We've also got Jack Gorn, Northern Football Reporter for the Daily Mail. How are you doing? You all right? Very good, thanks. Good. And every time you have a debutant, you've got to have a bit of grizzle. You've got to have a bit of experience. A real warrior. And we've got intrepid traveller Pete Hall, who is just off a plane after a long, long journey to Astana. Pete Hall, freelance football journalist for Reuters. How are we, Pete? I feel a bit grisly, actually. That's a good, that's a good adjective, <laughs> I think, for how I feel today. We've got a fantastic blend here. Debutant experience. We're going to have a great show. Right, first things first. League leaders, Liverpool, at home to Brighton. A few weeks ago, you would have looked at this as a fixture and thought, an absolute banker for Liverpool. Three points, looked to motor on into what's going to be a really, really busy period of games for them between now and the new year however crash bang wallop midweek they slip up against Napoli one all means they have to 
go away in two weeks to Salzburg and get at least a point to make sure they're in the draw for after Christmas. But potentially even more important than that, Fabinho has been ruled out for between six and eight weeks. So he's going to miss that entire run of games between now and 2020. Jonathan, I'm going to go to you first on this. How big is this for Liverpool in terms of how much it's going to affect them in the coming weeks? I think it's a major blow. I think he's one of the standout players for Liverpool this season. Probably the only person who can do that job who's got the discipline to sit in that holding midfield role and, and hold it all together. It's going to be very difficult for, for Klopp to replace that. And it's going to be interesting who he turns to. He's obviously got a few options. Uh, Milner, Henderson, Cater can do the job. I don't think there's a, a standout uh, candidate really so it's going to be interesting who he goes with but in terms of as you say a natural fit one of the most impressive things for Fabinho is his positioning in terms of that he's got that discipline to see Trent Alexander-Arnold on one side Andy Robertson on the other and he's confident enough to say I'll slot in next to Van Dijk and Lovren or Van Dijk and, and Matip and just ensure that everything's nice and tight and his, his anticipation to situations and counter-attacks he was excellent against Manchester City when they lost at Anfield a few weeks ago in terms of the players that you mentioned that could come in it's difficult to see a like-for-like like replacement. Whoever comes in is going to either have to do a different role or adapt right at a point where Liverpool don't want any sort of inconsistencies. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a key point. Uh, Fabinho's brilliant at reading that game. He obviously came from Monaco. He spent a bit, bit of time there playing as a fullback, so he knows that position. And those fullbacks are so key to everything, everything that Liverpool do. Obviously, Robertson and Alexander-Arnold contribute so many assists. Um, and there isn't really anyone. Obviously, Milner's played a, a bit of fullback. He he can do that, but I'm not sure if he's got that understanding in the position to fill in. Um, he has the athleticism and, and the work rate and the intelligence, but it, it takes a different skill set. Yeah, and can he play week in week out? Obviously, like you say, that they've got that. Uh, the Champions League isn't done and dusted. That was careless, really, to not get that one against Napoli. So, the, so that's going to be a key fixture. He's probably going to need his strongest eleven for that one. Um, but having said that, you know, Brighton up. I don't know, a few weeks ago you were saying it was a gimme. I still think it pretty much is a gimme this week. I still, I still back them to get the get through this one. It's it's long-term where they really have to find that replacement, long-term replacement for Benio over such a busy period. But busy period, as, as you say, I'm just looking at the numbers here. They've got 10 games between now and uh, the 2nd of January when they play <clears throat> when they play Sheffield United at home. That's a huge run. And obviously, we, you know, it's well documented, the, the Carabao Cup situation, the Club World Cup crossover, etc., etc., Klopp will be annoyed about this situation. Obviously, Jonathan's touched on the potentials that could come in. Where do you think he's going to turn to? Gino Wijnaldum didn't play at the week, uh, sorry, midweek against Napoli. He's likely to come back in. But with this sheer amount of football that's going to be played, how is Klopp going to organise this? Particularly when you see some really big games they've got. They play Leicester, they play Wolves, they play Everton in the derby and that Club World Cup game. Well, I think they were trying to be a little bit cute with Wijnaldum and not, obviously didn't start in midweek and kind of save him. Uh, so he'll come back in I wonder whether he kind of he'll rotate it almost and kind of Henderson might play in there a bit Milner has has said Naby Keita no one really talks about Naby Keita anymore do they it's kind of he's kind of drifted almost it seems like he's been there ages but hasn't he's been injured and when he has played he's been kind of hit and miss Um, I think they might kind of rotate it and not it's not as if they're going to turn to one of them and go right you're the guy you're going to fill in for for ten games, and also it's not ten games; it's nine games because the kids are going to play Villa in the yeah. cup. To be fair, easy. Um, I mean, festive period is awful for all the good teams, really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, in terms of travel and and games, yeah. I mean, the Club World Cup 
is an annoyance for them. Um, but I think they've got a they've got a big enough squad. I mean, the only kind of area of the pitch where you would say they're slightly light is actually going forward. Mm-hmm. In terms of cover for the big three, yeah. Um, They've not got much beyond the three, really, have they? I don't think. No. Well, Origi would be the first off the bench, but yeah. other than that, there would be there would be potential issues. But when we look at injuries, obviously Fabinho now we we know that he's going to miss this portion of games. Obviously, there was an injury to Allison right at the start of the season. This is something that's become quite uh, an interesting factor in the, in the title race potentially. How injuries affect. Manchester City and Liverpool and Liverpool fans will probably have thought you know they had their bit of bad luck at the start of the season with Alisson and then City had theirs with, with Laporte picking up a, a nasty injury which is, is still keeping him out of action now it's come back to Liverpool with this Fabinho injury is there an argument to be made that the Fabinho injury is actually more damaging for Liverpool th- than Alisson yeah because the um, the replacement they have for Alisson is you know competent play, played in the Premier League yeah. for years and years is a very good Good goalkeeper, and if you you know you're talking about Laporte, City didn't have a able deputy for a number of reasons. Um, kind of Stones are kind of personal and personal reasons, and he's out of form. Otamendi's pretty much finished at the top level, I think. So they kind of only got Fernandinho as like their major defender. And if, if I think Pep would have turned around and gone, well, if we'd had Fernandinho and Laporte together, then we wouldn't have lost three games in the league at this point. Whereas Adrian was able yeah. to fill in kind of absolutely fine, no problem. I don't think he kind of... No, he, did, he didn't pull up any trees, but, there was, you know, Liverpool are still top of the league and he's, there, he's, yeah. he's played almost as many games as Alisson. But, Pete, obviously when we look at these things and, and the margins are so thin in terms of Liverpool and City and both of them wanting to gain a little bit of an edge on each other, Manchester City are now without Sergio Aguero, which is also a massive blow for them. When you start to measure these things and everyone, you know, both, both sides will say, oh, this impacts us more... Who do you think squad-wise is in the more concerning position coming into this big run of games? I think Jack's right. It, it depends on the position with Liverpool. I think they've got cover in midfield um, for one or two injuries. They've got cover defensively um, and in goal. They've got an able deputy in in Adrian. But it's it's up front where Liverpool could, you know, if they if they get especially if they got more than one injury, then they're, they're really in trouble. Shakiri's barely played this season. Origi scores some crucial goals, but week in week out, he's not he's not of the same level. No. And when he and when he does start, he often he often comes off. If Fabinho and uh, um, or Salah, for example, are not fully fitting on the bench, they often often have to come on a little bit earlier than Klopp would like yeah. because Origi he's not he's not quite he's not on clicking and he's not yeah yeah. So it's it all depends on the position. Um, City have got a much better squad. I think than mm-hmm. than the Liverpool. Their options off the bench are much stronger. Gabriel Jesus is a more than capable deputy to Sergio Aguero. Obviously, he's not on Sergio Aguero's level goal scoring wise, but when he's played this season, he's looked really good for City. Um, and Pep likes him in that system. Um, he works hard. He does the defensive work. Um, so he's he'll, he'll come in, and City will still look at, will still be a very good attacking force. Um, it de- it's the again it depends on the position with City's is is defensively that's where they that's where they and they've been hit there Liverpool haven't been hit with injuries up front and if they did that's when you could see things maybe start to unravel quickly before we move on to Brighton and obviously their trip to Anfield which Brighton fans will be looking at this and going they'll be looking for any sort of crack of light. With Firmino out injured, and if we're to take that Henderson and Wijnaldum, just just dead quickly, I'm just going to run round. Henderson and Wijnaldum are the regulars in central midfield alongside Fabinho. Pete, for you, who 
who would you like to see? Who do you think is the most likely to come in and play the majority of games over the Christmas period? The more important games, I think Milner will because I think he's got he's got the knowledge and he's he's very much sort of Klopp's man, like lieutenant on the pitch. Go-to man, yeah. Yeah, he's go-to man. And I think in the big games that he'll be the one that he trusts in that role. Jack, would you follow that or do you think there's, there's potential for Oxlade-Chamberlain, Keita, as you mentioned as well? I've, probably Henderson, just from a consistency point of view. I think and somebody slots into his role then? Yeah, 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 because it's easy. I think it's easy to slot into his role than it is into Fabinho's, and they will probably trust Henderson at the kind of at the, at the base of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of position, because he's 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 played there previously. I know he gets a bit of stick for it in terms of when he started his Liverpool career, there was a bit of a misunderstanding of, of his role that he had at Sunderland, and he was played there. But one thing that Jordan Henderson has in in, in absolute acres is consistency and, and discipline. Well, it's a it's a discipline, isn't it? Yeah. If you tell him to do something, he'll do it. Mm. Whereas I'm not sure all the others. Kaiter, Oxley, yeah, Chamberlain, yeah, something sure. like that. Yeah. Jonathan, would you go along with that, or do you think Klopp potentially might say put a foot on the gas a little bit more? There's games to be won here over Christmas. They've got the majority of their games are at home. Do you think there's the scope for that potentially? He could mix it up a bit, um, but I would go with Henderson as as his first as option. Deeper. Yeah, he's, he's done it for England. He, he he does know the role quite well, I, but I, I, I still think that. They'll lose something without Fabinho, but it's it's not the worst run of games, and I think they can get by with Henderson playing there. And but I think if it's if it's not working, he'll quickly change it and look at something else. He has got those alternatives. He's got players in midfield that he can shift around. Like say, the Ox is coming back now. He yeah. he, he can do a good job. So he, he's got he's got options. He has indeed. Well, obviously Brighton that we've mentioned. Fantastic before the international break, really strong run of form just before, you know, it's probably a situation where they would have looked at it and not wanted the international break because coming into it, they'd won three out of four games. They beat Tottenham, they beat Everton and they beat Norwich. Since the international break, it's kind of gone off a cliff a little bit and some of the old issues have have resurfaced. They lost away at Manchester United and they lost at home to Leicester last weekend. Now, there's not necessarily... There's not necessarily any shame in that in terms of the teams that they're playing against, but there seems to be a little bit of the, the air gone out of them, um, particularly in the second half of games. I watched the Leicester game last weekend and they really struggled as as Leicester started to go up through the gears. Graham Potter is someone that we've talked about quite a few times on the show in terms of, is it a bit of a myth what he brings, what he brought from Swansea? Where do you see this going, Jack, in terms of Potter and what he's going to do at Brighton in the coming weeks? Well, Tony Bloom and... The guys at Brighton clearly don't think it's a myth because they're just giving him a six-year contract. So, and it was it was funny actually watching Potter talk about that after he'd been given it because he it was quite a gent. I think he got quite a gentle question about you know how did it all come about, and he went, "Oh, well, I was as, as surprised as anyone else that we started talking about it." <laughs> it seems a staggering kind of commitment to give him a six-year contract like three minutes into three months into um, what was the other three? It kind of is three minutes almost. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's kind of, and they've done they've done fine. They've done okay. Um, it's unnecessary, isn't it? More than anything, it does like, seem unnecessary. Like to what? Me. Like he wasn't like his agent would have been in the banging down Tony Bloom's door, going, "Wow, well, I want an extension." Signing that, yeah, that that soon into a three-year contract, and then do you think Brighton have panicked? Like it wasn't like they've, like they're in a particularly good run of form, and they're like, right, we need to we need to tie him down before he gets poached by someone else. Or uh, Unai Emery's uh, under pressure. Let's, uh, well, we better get him. We got to get him yeah. tied down so he doesn't go to the Emirates. But it's just Brighton was so desperate to move on from the Chris Hutton era of, of, of they did enough to stay up, but the the football wasn't great, and they wanted something a bit a, a new project basically, and they're believing in this project that that Potter's brought and. Look, he's he's done okay, 
but it's it's one of the most most bizarre stories I think I've seen this season. Just you know why? What? Well, you wonder like with those with those contracts. Sometimes they've got ridiculously low kind of release clauses release, and things yeah, like that, and you sure, just wonder yeah. whether they were, they thought, oh, we'll tighten this up just before, just in case it kind of yeah, there's something that they didn't like initially. It's been bugging them, kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But this almost seems to be the, the rhetoric with the club at the moment in terms of when Hutton left, there was a lot of talk of natural progression. Thanks for keeping us up. Thanks for keeping us in the Premier League. But we as a club want to move on. Potter was perceived as this more forward-thinking manager than, than Chris Hutton, but. As I mentioned before, when when you look at the results, the, the cold hard results and the performances, has there really been a, a significant improvement? And if there has, has it been worth what's been potentially um, taking away the defensive solidity that they had last season? I think they've got the same points as they had at the same time last season under Chris Hughton. So that perhaps has not taken uh, move forward as much as people think. No. However, you know, watching them at the end of last season, it was absolutely dire. They they sort of clung on to the Premier League by the. By the by skin the of the teeth, yeah. It was. It, I mean, I, I watched the game against Newcastle, and it was. It would. They had no idea, and then that Newcastle t- team were poor, and they took Brighton apart. And you just thought, this is. There's no way that Brighton can continue with this guy because if, if they carry on like this next season, they, they've got no chance. Uh, so I think it was. It was definitely the right time, to make that change. Um, just seems. Just seems awfully early to give him this. This. This new deal. Mm. Um, and in terms of his ideas and what he's tried to implement at the club, he's he's also shown a bit of a. A, a naivety in terms of his tactics. He doesn't really seem to have a settled system of playing. He does have a, a core of 13, 14, 15 players that he uses, but he's flicked between 3 5 2, 5 4 1, almost a, quite a quasi 4 4 2 last weekend against Leicester. Does that show to you that he, he doesn't really have a handle on what he wants to do in terms of in game management? Not ne- No, I don't think so. Not necessarily. I think it's That's just a bit harsh. He, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> a p- <laughs> Um, I think he's just kind of feeling his feeling his squad out and just seeing what works and what doesn't and they've probably got enough leaning on that six year contract well yeah. exactly yeah and give himself prob- a bad back they've probably got enough qual- they've got enough quality in the squad to think we'll probably be okay there's probably three worse teams than them in the division and they yep. can he's got a little he's got an opportunity and the results are kind of against Everton and Tottenham have given him this yeah. chance that he can kind of experiment a little he's bit he's got more. five and a half years to work out his best, but, best team isn't it so it's fine. But, but given that that was Hutton's perceived downfall that was the stick that was used Hutton to beat with mm. as Jack's just said of oh well there's three worst teams that in the summer was turned almost turned against Hutton of that's not good enough we need to see more ambition mm. and, that, and now we're sitting in a situation whereby is it because they do seem to play a little bit more progressive football, but at, at what potential cost? I think but you were allowed to do that in the first year, though. Yeah, and I, I don't think mixing it up is that necessarily that bad a thing, especially if it's not going too badly, because the, the point of, of Hewton is they wanted to try something else, and Potter is coming in and he's trying something else. He's trying a variety of things, and eventually he, he, might, get it, he might get it right. But I think, I think the Brighton hierarchy are looking at him going... Oh yeah, he's actually, at least he's trying to do something, and I think that's that's ticking a lot of boxes for them. I think the comparison with Hewton was that he ran out of ideas at the end. Yeah, and yeah. he just had nowhere to go. He Potter's just... got too many. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, the I guess the big thing is as well they've got Dan Ashworth there as well. Yeah. He's a big kind of blue blue sky thinker, isn't he? And that's mm. probably what they're they're looking at. Yeah. One interesting thing in terms of the game this afternoon. Obviously, as we mentioned right at the top of the show, you'd look at this game on paper and go tick next to Liverpool home win. You'd almost put your house on it, but. If Brighton had to get something from this, I mean, looking at some of the, the numbers in terms of games where they've been successful, and the, the Tottenham game is obviously the one that jumps out, and the goals that they scored, Aaron Connolly scoring on his debut, and a really impressive performance, albeit against a Tottenham team that was, as we now know, coming to the end of a, a managerial cycle. 
what we've seen with Liverpool this season, when they played Sheffield United, when they played certain other sides, if teams look to go man for man with, with Robertson and Alexander-Arnold and either go for a 3-5-2 or look to have a situation where they've got strength in wide areas, there's the potential to cause issues for Liverpool. Potter at Anfield... Is he brave enough to do that? Is he brave enough to say, we're going to not take Liverpool on, but we're going to try and match them in their strongest areas and see if we can get something out of it? Because if we sit in, we could end up losing 4-5-0. Well, he tried that at Man City in August. Uh, and they played 3-5-2. Dan Byrne was left wing back. Uh, and they played really... I mean, this is going to sound stupid, but they played really well and lost 4-0. Oh, they did, yeah. yeah. It was strange, I think it? we were all there, weren't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can, you know, and they might look at it and go, well, we could play well at... Anfield or Old Trafford or whatever, and do the same thing. We might be able, might be able to get a result. I think you've got to, if you are going to get a result. I think you've got to do something slightly different. But do we think, in terms of the way they set up, is there a way, even just by sheer numbers back back behind the ball and organisation, that they can shut Liverpool out of the game? No, I don't. Th- I think if you, if you've got to try and get something out of the game, that's not. You can't go to Anfield and and when they're riding the crest of the wave that they are at the moment. Um, they can, they can, Liverpool can concede goals. They're, they're eleven without a clean sheet. The worst run since nineteen ninety eight. So it doesn't. They can absorb. They can take that they, hit. They can, yes. So if you're gonna, I think you've, you've got to really try and do something a little bit special, and that's the only way that you get something at Anfield at the moment because it's everything's just going so well. I don't think trying to contain Liverpool is is possible for, for a team like Brighton at Anfield. Would we go for a full house then? Three Liverpool wins. We don't. We don't give Brighton a prayer, really. No, I'm afraid no, not. No. It's a yeah, home win all the way. Home win. Home win, fair yeah. enough. Well, apologies to any Brighton fans li- listening, but obviously Liverpool fans on the back of that Fabinho news will be fairly pleased. Now, from a manager who's just been given a six-year contract to a manager that's just been sacked and has no contract, <laughs> and that's obviously Mr Unai Emery. Anyone that listened to our Friday show will have uh, heard all the reaction and, and my annoyance and, and ranting about Unai Emery's treatments and the potential for a succession plan that's being put into place. Now, I still can't really get my head around the fact that Freddie Jungberg is going to be on the pitch representing Arsenal not wearing a kit but I'm sure I'll be able to get around that uh, come Sunday afternoon when Arsenal go to Carrow Road where do we see this going now Jungberg has been brought in and the club have been very clear that it's an interim position do we see this as exactly as that is and if so what sort of time frame do we think we're looking at well, this it, is it it's kind of sorry it, it was completely indefinite wasn't it the wording was very, very clear in terms of interim. Yeah, yeah, but there doesn't seem to be any noises from the club. Him, but they've called him an interim rather than a caretaker. Interim would suggest that it's months rather than weeks. Mm. So if he's an interim mm. for months, then would you not say that he's he's there until the end of the season? Like uh, United, like United. Did well, last year. an interim is only an interim and until they do really well, and then they they get the job or things go really badly, and someone else becomes available. It all depends on how how he does. Um, he's very popular. He's very popular at the club. Very popular with the players. He's impressed in his early career with the other twenty threes. Um, if he if he comes in and they, and they do really well, and you know the Emirates could do with a, a few smiling faces, couldn't they around the place? Um, then. I think the same sort of situation as, as what's happened at United. I think they just say, well, why not? Why not give him a go? If it doesn't work out, then you can then you can bring someone else in. It depends. It depends on whether their other major targets are interested in the job or not. Interims have always got a chance of getting the job, yeah, these days, haven't they? And yeah. I think he, him being part of the Invincibles team gives him he, he'll brighten up the place. I mean, look at the the state of the crowd 
for the game against Frankfurt. I mean, it, it's it's happened towards the end of Wenger's reign, but but never on that scale. Not not on that scale. He, I had to think that he had to go, and and Lundberg will brighten up the place instantly. Mm. Um, and if he can back those results, he's got a good chance of, of getting it on a full time basis. Whether you know in twelve months' time, it, the, the 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 goalposts might have moved. Then Arsenal fans might be demanding more than challenging for the top four they might want to be in there but he's got a chance of taking it now certainly Obviously one of the big things that's mentioned is, as Pete touched on before is his managing the under-23s and the fact that for the first time in probably three, four years young players are graduating through the youth system and, and playing in the Arsenal first team we've got the likes of Reese Nelson Joe Willock uh, Bukayo Sacco Ainsley Maitland-Niles I know he's been in for a little bit longer and these these are potential products of, of Youngberg's work with the U team you know we, we do have to be careful not to over egg it he, he was only in for one season but those young players will react positively to him coming into the team and I think we've seen a little bit of a dip from them when at the start of the season they were excellent and there was a lot of talk particularly about Willock and, and Saka whereas now I know obviously the Frankfurt game is always going to be held up as this night where Emery kind of finally fell but there does seem to be a bit of confidence been taken out of them but seeing that familiar face of Youngberg running the show do you think that will light a fire back under them? Yeah, well, it's important that he's kind of got that rapport with them because you've got that immediate connection, haven't you? Yeah. As soon as he takes the mm. takes the role. The one thing I kind of... Talking to people who know far more about Arsenal than I do, they say Jumberg isn't actually the best coach, but he's a very good manager mm. and he's very personable, which actually in the kind of short term is probably going to serve them quite well. Mm. If the players kind of respond to him, and as you say, there's loads of young players that have yeah. been in and around him already. If he can kind of... I don't know, if they can feed off him, then results, you get one, you get two quite quickly, don't you? And then it can kind of snowball. And obviously, as you say, the likelihood is these young players will react positively to him and to him, either whether it's weeks, months or, or whatever, in terms of his role at the club. But the bigger issue, which is the issue that Emery was unable to handle, is actually the senior players. Mm. That's going to be the real challenge for him. We, we fully expect him to be able to manage the younger players. Not only has he dealt with them before, but he's in a position of, as we say, he's an invincible. These younger players will be looking at him and remembering him as a player. Mm. The older players that Emery's consistently had problems with, are they going to present the same problems for Jungberg? Yeah, but well, the problem is with Arsenal is that Emery's... A lot of the signings, he brought in some good players. It's a very, very talented squad, Arsenal squad, but they're, they're kind of overloaded in certain areas and then and then really short in others. So it's all about trying to get that balance of, of keeping... There's talent, happy. but it's about team composition. Yeah, it's, 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 a very sort of, it's a very bizarrely loaded squad, Arsenal's. And they've got, there's, there's got so many creative midfielders, for example, mm-hmm. but three centre-halves, and, and it just... It, it's how he keeps them happy, and how he the, the obvious the obvious one that everybody will always go straight to is Mesut Özil. Yeah, and it's, he was clearly not happy under Emery, and he's already tweeted today uh, a very half-hearted thank you yeah. and a picture of him in Lundberg, and he he will be pleased, I think, um, that Lundberg is in. Yeah, and in all in all honesty, he's a hard he's a hard player to manage, but you've got to play him more than than Emery did. You can't have a player of that talent and use him, and utilize him as as infrequently as 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 Emery did. But it's as always the perennial problem with Özil is how do you get the best out of him? And and Lundberg might be the guy to do it. And you know, but how moving? Not necessarily the best out of him. How does Jungberg get? A, a consistent role out of him given the fact that he's barely played this season mm. his fitness is going to take a little bit of work in terms of match fitness how does Jungberg approach this because as I say ultimately this is going to be the, the 
proving ground for Jungberg. How does he get something out of those or does he go with the approach of, listen, I know and you know that you're a great player. I was a great player. Does he take the kind of Zidane approach of speak to the players like adults and, and just kind of let them do as mm. they do on the pitch? Because there's an argument to be made that Emery was unable to do that because obviously he didn't have the status as either a player or a manager where he had to coach these situations. Mm. Well, I um, I went on Arsenal's pre-season tour in the summer and very nice yeah yeah and they were brilliant and i i've 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 seen a few pre-seasons i've gone right this is going to be Mesut Ozil's year he looks he looks really good he was really up for it um and he and he was playing some he was playing some brilliant football and then here we are again talking about the same thing every Groundhog season Day. yeah um what did he do really Batter Cincinnati United. No, the, um, he, he he was brilliant. Are you sure you just weren't looking through your holiday no, lenses no. at this beat? He he ran the show against Bayern Munich um, and Real Madrid. Thanks. Um, <laughs> I can see you waiting for waiting for to jump in there. He's just a staunch but, Cincinnati United yeah. fan. Come on, you know. But we, everyone wears their club colours on this show. I was I was intrigued about I was intrigued about Lundberg. So I was, I, I was sort of asking around, and I heard sort of similar things to what Jack was talking about in the fact that he, he's not necessarily the, like. A, a phenomenal coach, but he's very well liked by all the players, not just the youth players. Mm-hmm. The senior players really like him, and I think I think you're right. I think he might. I think he might take that sort of Zidane approach and say, "You're the, you know your best, pl- you know your best position. You tell me, and I'll work around you." Like Ancelotti always 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 yeah. says that he'll work. Light touch. Yeah, he'll yeah he'll work around the players' strengths because they know their own strengths better than I do. Um, Arsenal squad that might be quite difficult because there's there's a lot of of players that think they can play in a different position that maybe might not necessarily be their best position. But in terms of Mesut Özil, how long have how long have we been saying you know when are we going to see the best of him? Maybe ask him. Well, I think obviously he is an issue, and in terms of kind of getting the getting the genie out of the bottle or getting the genie back into the bottle almost is is going to be a test for Youngberg. But I'd make an argument that the bigger elephant in the room and the bigger issue to deal with is actually Granit Xhaka and in terms of his future at the club now under Emery he initially said after the incident with the Crystal Palace uh, at, at the Crystal Palace game that he wouldn't play for the team again he had the captaincy taken off him and now he's come back in he played in the Frankfurt game how does Jungberg approach this it's, it's a difficult situation for him because this isn't a situation whereby you've come in and followed a manager who's been struggling you're following a manager who's been struggling the fans are apoplectic and you've got senior players having real attitude and performance issues. So in terms of Shaka, does he, does he take a similar way, as Pete said, what he might do with Ozil? Or do you think he's going to have to be a bit stronger with, with Shaka? Well, well, what I would do with Shaka is take him out of the team and almost, almost sacrifice him for, to the fans and say, right, I'm, I'm here, you don't like Shaka, I don't like Shaka, I'm not going to play him. I don't, I don't think losing Shaka, you're going to lose too much out of the team. He's, he's been there quite a while now, he's been pretty ineffective. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, you know, he's. We were talking about defensive midfielders at Liverpool, and and the difference between Fabinho and, and Jacker is massive, is, is absolutely huge. So I, it, it could be a sort of almost an early win for for, for Youngberg to to do that, uh, bring back Özil, uh, a fan's favourite, and and then that suddenly the place is buzzing again. Show of strength, almost. Yeah, uh, they've got players who can play in that position, um, and then maybe start talking about January transfers and about. Signing key players because I think there's a basis of a, of a good squad there. They've got good fullbacks. They've got two excellent strikers. If he can get the best out of Pepe, I think he was a decent signing. So uh, there's, there's a lot for him to to do and and making 
instant impact. The big question alongside, do you know what, I'm, I keep saying the question or the big question, Jungberg's going to have a hell of a list if, if he's, if he hears what I've been saying about him, he's going to have a hell of a, he's going to have a hell of a hell of a to-do list over the next few weeks. There's also this, this situation whereby, yes, there's the young players that he knows so well and there's the senior players that he's going to potentially have to deal with issues with them. But how do you see him playing this in terms of his team selection? Arsenal need results simple no win in their last seven games in in all competitions they need results is it a risk for him to go with the younger players that he knows so well at a point where Arsenal absolutely need to start winning games I don't think you have to play all of them do you I think if you play a few of them you need to get Tierney in the team get Bellerin in the team like you're talking about the Xhaka the Xhaka thing is quite an easy win isn't it in that you Mm -hmm. say right I'm not having him, and it's a statement. That, yeah, and it's an easy. Bring Joe really Willock in, and then yeah. But right. I think the full the fullbacks is an easy win. Like you go, these are my two guys. If, they haven't been playing under fit, Emery. Yeah, if the fit they play, and they're probably the best two. Well, apart from the apart from the striker, they're probably the two best players in the team. Bellerin's super popular as well with yeah. the fans, isn't he? So yeah, it's yeah. There's, there's a few easy wins in there, isn't there? I think if he if he start if he does that and then picks up a couple of results, then he's he's on to. He's on to a winner, and what I was what I was saying before about the kind of interim and the wording and whatever interim makes me think that he'll be there longer than um, longer than a few weeks because he's they they put him in interim charge rather than temporary charge. I think there's a there's a there's a proper difference in there. I think think? yeah, and it's I think it's a I think it's a proper audition for him, and hopefully just based on the wording of it. Yeah, 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 and I think. I hope, for his sake, he doesn't do what the bloke at Man United's done and kind of hark back to yesteryear and talk about the gaffer. Is he going to park and, in Fenger's car park? Well, I know, yeah. And say, oh, this is not how we did it in the Invincibles year and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> fair enough, not. fair enough. Quickly, obviously, Norwich, uh, they've kept their head above water last weekend, winning away at Everton, and that was their first win in eight games. Quite simply... Given the fact that they're just about bobbing right on the edge of safety, they're up to 18th now, a point and a pretty bad goal difference, but a point away from safety as it stands. Do we see any sort of positives from that win at Everton last weekend in terms of they've got a long slog between now and the new year in terms of games, some really difficult games. Arsenal obviously uh, tomorrow, but they go to Leicester. They've got Wolves, Villa, Tottenham, some, some difficult ones they have to get through. What's your sensation in terms of the signs that you're seeing on the back of that Everton game? Positive signs, but promoted teams tend to get weird results away from home. Yeah, uh, they all they all do it, don't they? Mm-hmm. Um, and you look at, as you say, you look at the run of uh, run of fixtures they've got, and you kind of worry for them going into going into January. And you'd almost look at it and say, well, they probably need a result on Sunday. Is that fair to say? Like, I think in order to keep that momentum going, because otherwise it just stands as an anomaly of. A, a, a three points at Goodison Park, and but unfortunately they're playing a team with a new manager who uh, is quite emotional, and we'll be able to kind of get. You would have thought we'll get a reaction out of them, so it's probably the worst possible time to be playing Arsenal. Unfortunately, so you're going for an Arsenal win. Mm. Would you back that up, Pete, Jonathan? Do you yeah. see any any sliver of hope for Norwich? No, I don't think they conceded 16 goals at home already this season. So I, I, yeah, I think I think Jack's right. I mean. Uh, it was the Emery. It, we got so angry towards the end of the Emery thing that everything's a little bit more brighter at Arsenal now. So yeah, I, I don't. I don't think Norwich can get anything out of this. Jonathan, I'm going to go for a draw. Actually, I think. Oi. I think that Arsenal's still 
no matter a, a new bump from a new manager, um, they're still got no centre-halves and I think they'll concede. <laughs> <laughs> well, brilliant stuff. A, a perfect debut really in the first half from Jonathan there in terms of a little bit outlandish predictions. <laughs> uh, on that note, we're going to take a short break but when we come back we're going to be talking about Jose Mourinho's first home Premier League game as Tottenham boss and we're also going to be taking a look at Everton who go to Leicester City in what could be the long, long, long goodbye for Marco Silva. Football Social Daily Premier League Preview Football Social Daily Premier League Updates. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Preview Show. Just a quick reminder, every day we have a fresh Premier League podcast for you to listen to. You can listen via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep up to date with your own Premier League side, you can subscribe to updates. Simply ask your Alexa device to enable Sports Social and then set it to your chosen team. Now, before the break, we talked about Liverpool and their injury issues. We also touched on Arsenal and a new man in charge there, be it interim be it caretaker we're not really sure at this stage but one man who's definitely in charge and he's got his feet right under the table in North London is Jose Mourinho two wins in his first two games the smiles back the hugging ball boys is back except he's not really back because he's never done that before and we're all a bit frightened about it and you know what he might be plotting for future Uh, Jose Mourinho Tottenham again we talk about bankers we talk about Liverpool before the break Tottenham are home to Bournemouth given the bounce that Mourinho's had since he's come in how do we see this going? I, I, well, more than that, how, what have you made of Mourinho over the first two games? He's absolutely great. I love him. <laughs> he's, I just, he's simple. He's fantastic. Um, and let's let's try and remember these sort of antics when, in twelve months' time, mm. the place is burning down. Um, that beautiful new stadium. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. He's just kind of he's box office, isn't he? And, Everything, everything he does uh, is kind of, I don't know, gas mark six type thing, isn't it? Um, the ball boy stuff midweek, we just... It was a prime example of that. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Um, he's got, I think the, I think the ball boy's having... He's got things going in for dinner yeah, with the players, or to the signed shirt, that kind yeah, of thing. I just, you can't, I know people like to knock Mourinho, but you, you can't knock that. I just think it's the really good, it's a really good tale and it's great to see him back. But do you think he's doing this for a reason? As you say, he's had two games, two wins. The positivity seems to be slowly coming back at the club. But yet we're, we're talking about him and we're talking about stories that are not necessarily focused on the team and on and on the games itself. It's it's all connected with him. Is this, as it's been in the past, a, a Mourinho tactic to have all, the pre- have all the pressure and all the attention on him whilst the team look to kind of get back to themselves? Yeah, he's taking the pressure off the, off the players who haven't been playing, all, playing well all season. But on top of that, he looks a lot happier than at any point during his time at United. He looks relaxed. I think he's happier being in London. Um, And maybe this is probably his last big gig, his last chance in England. If if this goes wrong, um, I don't don't see where else he could possibly go. You know, he's burnt his bridges at Chelsea, at United. Liverpool and City certainly aren't going to touch him. So this is it. And he's got this open goal of... Winning a trophy, which Spurs have have never done, Poch, you know, for all Pochettino was brilliant, couldn't get even a, a League Cup. And if if Mourinho can do that, what you know, it, he'll be, he'll be a legend. He'll he'll rebuild the legend that he's already got. So he looks happy and he looks confident, um, and he's made a good start. And he's done that by t- yeah, like you say, taking the pressure off the players. Um, he's got he's got a good squad 
Poch got a lot from them. They just did that confidence putting back into them and he looks happy and he looks like he's doing that. Is one day Ramos a legend? No. At Spurs? <laughs> no. He won a trophy, didn't he? He did. He did. <laughs> it just took me a minute to, to, to see where you were going with that. Like, Juan de Ramos, he's Cincinnati United fan and uh, fan, <laughs> fan club president of uh, Juan de Ramos. No, no, it's no. Not the, Ramos yeah, but not. It's not the winning of the trophy, is it? It's the fact that he'll go on and on about it right up until that moment so that you'll think that when he does win the trophy, then it's a lot bigger than it actually is because that's what Mourinho does. He's brilliant. At but the- one, of the most, one of the most interesting things in the Olympiacos game that come out, and again, this, this goes along this line of we're talking about Mourinho and things that he's done was the bizarre situation with Eric Dyer and, and Christian Eriksen anyone that didn't watch the game 2-0 down to Olympiacos at home he takes off defensive midfielder Eric Dyer brings on Christian Eriksen they go on to win 4-2 and he very very strangely in his press conference apologises to Eric Dyer says there was no injury he just had to find a way to get Eriksen on the pitch this again is another mad move that's being framed as a tactical masterstroke or I'm, am I, are we being too harsh on him? Was it a brilliant decision in order to get back into the game? Well, it was a good decision, wasn't it? Because then they, they were. But was it this fantastic wizardry decision? No, it's one of those where if you make it, you make it in your first kind of few yeah. weeks in charge, and you go and win the game, and it's great. If he made, if he made that sort of substitution in his last six months at United, and nothing changed, he wouldn't have made. Then he, it, he it, wouldn't but, have made that under pressure. But he would have. He, you'd, you'd look at it and go, "Well, that was absolutely mad. Like he's yeah. completely." He's lost his head. He's he's dragged someone off half an hour into a game. How has he done that? It's all about kind of the context behind it and the circumstance at the time, I think. But Ericsson's a player that for the last six months, obviously the the context, as you say, with, with Pochettino being in charge, is someone that we've heard endless talk about. He wants to leave. There was huge talk that he was going to go in the summer, either to Real Madrid or potentially to Manchester United. It's well documented that he's considering running his contract down. Jan Vertonghen's also on that list. Toby Alderbyro's also on that list. Danny Rose has got just over 12 months on his contract. How is Mourinho going to look at these players and approach the situation when he's known for being quite abrasive and potentially get them to stay? And if he's not and he wants them out, then wow, the <laughs> the situation that he's going to create for them is going to be pretty tough. He's talked about Danny Rose a, a fair bit already. Um and Toby Alderweireld is a player that he wanted when he was at United as well, so he's 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 already a fan of these players. But um, it depends how well it goes. I mean, it depends how well it goes this season. If it doesn't go if it doesn't go really well, the players aren't going to want to stick around, regardless of of who's in charge. Um, and also, it depends on what transfer Kitty is going to get. Um, Daniel Levy is notorious for being quite frivolous um, in the transfer market, but. With Mourinho, is he? Uh, no, 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 no. Hey, hold on. Hold on. No, 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 no. Frugal, frugal, not fr- frivolous. No. Um, but Mourinho is the guy that he's wanted for a long time. Yeah. he's got the blockbuster manager. So I, he, I fully expect him to change his tact on that and, and basically give Jose what he wants in the transfer market. Not necessarily hundreds and hundreds of millions, but more than he'd given in the past. So it depends how much Mourinho's going to get and the players that he wants because. You still need a squad if you're going to be playing in the Champions League. You can't, you can't just cast up them all aside because he'll have to replace them, and it depends how much money he's got to replace them. How, how pissed off would you be if you were Maurizio Pochettino? Very, 
Very. Why on earth wouldn't he just give him the money last year when he wanted it? Well, it, it, I think it masked in all of this. People are obviously talking about the treatment that Pochettino's had and, and the exit and the fact that, you know, the A-board apology and, and all this. I actually think the biggest slap in the face for him has been, as you say, the fact that this money has clearly been hiding in a safe somewhere in the new stadium and Levy's been waiting and waiting, as Pete said, for the manager that he wanted. If you're Pochettino, it's, it's a knife in your back. It's a couple of knives in your back, really. I know. I just don't think. I don't think it's fair. I mean, he'd done no. all the kind of. He laid all the groundwork, and done all and needed that. Needed those like two or three signings just on the top, mm. just to top it all off, and wasn't wasn't given him. Um, and then he's seen someone else come in, and who might be given. I mean, we, we don't know for definitely will be given loads to spend. But if he is, then you could turn around and go, well. What a waste of time that was. He was essentially though like a victim of his own success, wasn't he? Because he 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 did really he got to the Champions League final yeah. without spending the money. So Daniel Levy's gonna like, well, I don't need to give I don't need to give him the money because he's all, he's performing well anyway. Whereas he Jose is his glamour manager that he's wanted. He's That's got, a crazy way of operating. Though. I know. Well, he's yeah. Well, it's it's Daniel Levy. You know, he's he's not been the most easy person to predict in in the transfer market, uh, especially. So. Yeah, it is it is bizarre, but this Mourinho appointment has been a long time in the making for Levy. We're not necessarily um, wanting Poch out, but Mourinho is the guy that he's wanted for a long time, so he'll certainly change his tap. But yes, if, if you're if you're Mauricio Pochettino, you'd certainly be uh, yeah a little bit frustrated by it. There's obviously been a lot of talk about Deli Ali, and he's kind of been earmarked as the player that Spurs fans think Mourinho's going to get a hold of and look to kind of work his magic and get the best out of him because personalities, they seem to kind of match. Ericsson's going to be an interesting one in terms of how he uses him, where he uses him in the team. Going back to the Olympiacos game in terms of tactics and the way Mourinho approaches it, many, many Tottenham fans will have looked at Mourinho's end at United and be be wincing for what could potentially be in, in store. What have you seen so far in the in the West Ham game and in the Olympiacos game that he is trying to change what Pochettino was doing with the team? I think they were. it was a nice introduction to life as a Tottenham manager. They're too quite... I mean, West Ham at the moment are The worst up. keeper I've yeah. seen in a very long time. Yeah. Um, so so that, so we could go with that and be a little bit more adventurous. I think time will tell when the big games come around, when he goes to Stamford Bridge and Anfield and the, Eti- and the Etihad and see how he plays in those fixtures. But there was encouraging signs that Ali was back to what, what we know he can do. He was given a bit more freedom mm-hmm. and he absolutely revelled in it. Um, Ericsson, what, Ericsson's going to be an interesting one. Um, you, you almost feel like Ericsson's done the hard work already in running down his contract at this point. Yeah. In January, he can talk to any club in the world. So just hold, hold on for a little bit longer. Why, what's the point in signing a contract yet? So I think Spurs and Mourinho have really got to sell the project to him. Uh, so the... It's a key time for Mourinho to do that. Um, if he if he can if he can turn it around and go back to those you know go back to those early days at Chelsea, they they play some brilliant football. Um, yeah, he's just got to open himself up and, and, and go for that. Time will tell. I, I still think that. He, the, the the bad Mourinho will still come out. <laughs> I just think the the situation with Ericsson, it it won't sit well with Mourinho. He doesn't like to be the junior partner, particularly as you say with the contracts. He doesn't like to be dictated to or having things out of his hands because when it does happen, he tends to react pretty volatilely and he'll and he'll look to ostracise yeah. Ericsson regardless of his of his performances in the team. But Bournemouth, who goes to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium today, now 
we were chatting about this when we were doing the prep for recording the show, and, and Mr. Pete Hall said that we were being harsh on Bournemouth in terms of their run. And you know, we had, an argu- me out. we had we had an argument over uh, whether standards were too high or standards were too low potentially mm-hmm. for for Eddie Howe's team. So, as it stands, Bournemouth have won once in their last eight games. So I'm gonna you know I'm gonna have first reply to Mr. Pete Hall and say. Given the run of games they've had, given the fact that they've probably got the worst run of injuries in the Premier League, are they doing okay or, or are they are they in a bit of trouble? Well, when you throw the numbers like like that at me, then I've... Boom. Yeah, uh, <laughs> where am I going to come back from with that? But my counter-argument is they're 11th. And where do you expect Bournemouth to be? Uh, do you, that would be expectation. Yeah, so I'd, if uh, things are going badly, if they're in eleventh, and <coughs> I, I, th- I think they're doing all right. They, they started the season well. It's over. It's a it's a thirty eight game season, Fergal. So if you can lose a few games, you win a few games. It's where you finish at the end of the season that's most important. Well, I think that's that's Pete's pitch for interim manager wow. at Bournemouth. <laughs> well, he, and he dropped off when he was given a <laughs> that, that deep impassioned speech about Bournemouth. Who knew that that you know the, the South Coast was so close to Pete's heart? It's a lovely stadium to visit. I, I love going down yeah. there. It's great. Obviously, as I say, it depends how you frame it in terms of the run that they're on, but. The injuries really can't be understated. They've got players that were so important for them last season that have either not kicked the ball or barely kicked the ball this season. When you run through the list of players that are not just missing this weekend, but have been missing for weeks, David Brooks, Andrew Sermon, Josh King, who's so, so important for them. This weekend against Tottenham, Phil Billing, um, Sam Francis are both suspended. It's going to be very hard on on a on a thin squad with these injuries mm. for how to get through Christmas and then potentially invest in January. Yeah, I, we were talking about Liverpool and their squad depth before, weren't we? It's like Bournemouth's the complete opposite end of the scale. And the the other guy that you uh, didn't mention then was uh, Lloyd Kelly, the defender they, yep. bought, they got in the summer. In the kind of probably not the most important or exciting player in they in their squad, but they've tried very hard over the last two summers to kind of progress in certain areas and get a younger profile of player. Um, that would improve them, and Kelly is that at the back, and they've not. They've, I don't know how many games he's not. He's barely played. Yeah, he got an injury. I think it was the second game of the season, mm. and then he struggled to come back since then. And he's really struggled. And they kind of to move, in order to move forward, they obviously need these players fit. Um, so they're kind of waiting for certain individuals, and you kind of Brooks is a fantastic footballer, but I suppose then that kind of heaps the pressure on the likes of Wilson mm. to kind of create on a regular basis that where he wouldn't have to if there were others around him. But just looking ahead to their runner games, I know this is a bit of a popular theme tonight, but and I, I won't go to peaks. I don't upset him anymore. <laughs> Bournemouth have got a re- Bournemouth have got a difficult run over Christmas. Just some of the games I'm going to reel off to you, Jonathan. Tottenham away, Liverpool at home, Chelsea away, Arsenal at home, and that's all before the end of the year. Given the injuries that they've got, if that goes bad for Howe, and and he's really struggles, and they get into a, a rut over Christmas. We could potentially be talking about him being right in the relegation zone in 2020. Yeah, that's a painful run with those injuries, isn't it? Yeah, that looks awful. But Bournemouth are probably the most curious team in the last couple of years. They they they're more than capable of at the end of that run putting five, four or five wins together. They, they're probably the team in that sort of mid-table area who who are capable of beating the top six or getting battered seven eight nil. Yeah. But they can beat anyone. They can lose to anybody. So that's been a consistent thing with them. You never know which which way the wind yeah. is going to blow. But they, they have been. They have, they have flirted around the relegation zones over the, those past couple of seasons, and they've never really had a problem. They've they've never panicked. They've got themselves out of it. They, they they can put two or three wins 
on the bounce and suddenly six, seven points clear and nothing to worry about and everything's everything's happy on the South Coast. Well, it was weird because this time last year he, he was under a bit of pressure, I think. Yeah. Mm. Which Eddie Howe is never, ever, ever going to be under pressure at that football club. But it's a job for life if he wants it. It's an interesting, interesting situation whereby, as as Jonathan says, generally speaking, they, they get the results together. You know, we have the same conversation about Burnley most seasons, but that that doesn't last forever. The amount of teams over over the last decade that have been relegated for the Premier League have have flirted with it for four or five years, and they've always said, no, no, there's always a few worse teams, or you know, when it counts, we know how to get those results. But there comes a time when when your time is almost up. But I think well, I think we've all been guilty of it in the fact that we think. This is this is the year. They can't keep doing this. It's it'll be the year that Bournemouth go down and and um, because they can't they just can't keep doing like like working to that model like finding these players on the budget on the transfer budget that they have. Um, it's a, it's a small state and he's still got so many players that he's had for you know throughout his time yeah. there. So you're thinking oh, surely surely I don't know they're going to get found out. But he just keep doing it and the counter to your to your fixture uh, argument. By the way, I don't know why I'm defended Bournemouth so much here, but <laughs> after, after as of the first of January, they've got West Ham, Watford, Norwich, Brighton, and Villa. Three of them are at home. And if they if they got if they do say they lose all the games up Over to Christmas. then up, up to Christmas get dragged into that relegation battle that is a, a a very good run of winnable games where they can you know in the Premier League at the moment three two or three wins catapults you five six seven places up the table so they can they can climb out of it is what I'm going to say but that will mean them being the the. The positive Brighton, as, as Jonathan touched on before, with the Jekyll and Hyde situation, mm. we need to see the Brighton that can beat anyone. But you'd worry that if they had come off the back of a poor run of results, that we might see the Brighton that's been battered around the place in December. Bournemouth. Uh, Bournemouth, sorry. Mm. Um, yeah, Graham Potter well, on the brain there. I tell you what, if you'd lost if you've <laughs> lost five on the bounce, or however many, and then you see that run of fixtures that look quite favourable, it then becomes quite scary because they all feel like six-pointers. Yeah, so it and depends that, which way you want to look at it, is it? I suppose the thing with Bournemouth is that everyone's pulling in the same direction. The, the fans never ever get on back on the, on the back of the no. team. It's, it's that small, compact stadium. I, I just don't see them really no. getting. I think being it, really seriously being in. I think they've they they. Uh, I know quite a few Bournemouth fans, and they're they're very much like we we know that we're punching above our weight, kind of thing, and we. We we've, didn't expect it to last this long, and we're just going to kind of enjoy it as as long as it lasts. And it's not it's not going to be the end of the world, you know. It's not like like a, like a, a Newcastle or a West Ham. If you if you went down, it's like the end of the world. You could be in financial ruin. No, they have a they have a they have a sound business model down there that they have a succession plan that if they did go down, then they wouldn't take the hit financially. So it was, it's very much like. It's a nice, it's a nice feeling, I suppose, as a as a supporter, where your expectation, you don't really have the expectation that they're always performing above expectations, and it's just quite, yeah. I imagine it's quite a nice club to support. Imagine slash, I know, yeah. I'm right involved. In, well, I don't know why. Does anyone? Does anyone? Does anyone? Ticket on the count. Does anyone so dare weird. go against that? Do we see anything other than a third win on the shot for Mourinho in this game? No, no yeah, I think it'd be a home win. Yeah, yeah Spurs all the way. No, yeah, you're back on board, Jonathan. I am, yeah, <laughs> Bournemouth will get a point. Oof! Oh, Oof! Mm, Controversial. Yeah. My boys, show. My, my boys in red and black. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to move on to the final game that we're focusing on this weekend, which is Leicester City against Everton. Now, it's been well documented the issues that are going on at Everton, and we're going to touch on that in just a moment. And we're joined by Liverpool Echo journalist Ian Kroll. But before we do that, we're going to talk about Leicester City. Nine wins from the last ten games in all competitions. Brendan Rodgers has created this 
epitome of consistency. He's named the same starting eleven for the last six games and they just keep knocking teams over. Before we look at the, the Everton game, Jack, how impressed have you been by them? I think they're the most exciting team to watch in the Premier League at the moment. More than Liverpool, the, more than City? Yeah, because mm-hmm. of the individuals they've got and you kind of want the likes of Madison to do well and mm. you want and you like watching Chilwell. Um and Vardy scoring every week is quite fun to fun to watch. Um I think kind of Rogers has had an absolute masterstroke taking that job. Because mm. well, he's seen the potential in the squad and he, he can't I don't think you could really lose with them. If you get them playing front foot football, there's so many good players in that squad. I think you've kind of not an easy job would be the wrong thing to say, but a, a really favourable. Well, you've got a decent chance of a favourable outcome, I think, managing them. But obviously, as Jack mentions, they're the most in your mind they're the most exciting team to watch in the league. I think most of us would would agree or say they're certainly one of them. They're still not really being mentioned in the title conversation. It still seems that that's absolutely locked down between Liverpool and Manchester City. Pete, why are we not talking about them as as potential title challengers? They've won the they've won the league in recent years. They've definitely won the league more recently than Liverpool have. The way they've started the season's been excellent. There's there's no Europa League or Champions League football. Why are we not talking about them and should we be? Well, any I think apart from the last couple of years we would be. We would be talking about them. When they won the, when they won the league, I, well this I think this is a better team than the Leicester team that won the league. Um but, man for man or as a as a system? Uh or both? Everything. Everything. I th- I just think they've got better options all all over the pitch and on in my personal opinion I think that Brendan Rodgers is a, is a is a better manager than Claudio Ranieri. Um but it's because of Liverpool and City. Liverpool and City have raised that bar yeah. much higher than than any level in the in the last well in in the Premier League era. Well, the, the you know the points totals speak for themselves. So any other season we would any other so we Leicester would be in a title race. Well, they, well, technically they are in a in a title race, but we would be we would be taking them more seriously as contenders any other season. But City City and Liverpool have just raised that bar too high. Well, they are. They are in the title race. They're above City. And we're in December. But they're still not being... When conversations take place... Yeah, I think people still not just being, don't want to, do they? It's is like, it because people don't want to almost let themselves be swept up in it? I guess so, yeah. I Non-Leicester fans, I mean. Yeah, I... I don't, I don't know. It's kind of... It's quite... I mean, they definitely... They, they, are, in a, they are definitely in a title race, but I don't think... People aren't going to start talking about them in it until like kind of February, because mm. because there's always the assumption that they'll drop off. But what do they have to do in terms of, as we say, being mentioned in the general conversation as title challengers? What do they have to do? I'm not. I'm I'm, I'm fairly confident that Brendan Rodgers and his players don't really care, and he'll be probably looking to downplay that. But what do they have to do to be mentioned as this is the side that's going to run City and Liverpool? Just winning every single week. And to, I know that's obvious, <laughs> but I don't know what else you can do. I mean, they're playing really well. Um, they're really expansive. Got to be there in March. Yeah, well, that's what happened last time, wasn't it? Nobody, nobody was talking them about them until this they won. Time the, of year. Until they won at the Etihad. Even, well, even in March, April, yeah, everyone yeah. was saying they've, they're, they'll they've trip got, somewhere. Yeah, 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 they've done really well, and they've, they'll give it a good shot, but they won't, they won't actually win the title. Yeah. Um, but I just think, like you say, like Pete says, you know, Liverpool and City are have set that, the bar so high. You know, you look at the City got ninety eight points last season. Liverpool got ninety seven. 
They're going to have to beat that. And They're going to have to really like, go some. Yeah, it's not like when they did win the title, that was a, it's just a strange season. I mean, they were brilliant. They were absolutely brilliant, but it was a strange season where everyone else just wasn't very good. It was kind of one of the seasons where there wasn't another contender. <laughs> like, everyone, yeah. else, everyone else was doing the best. They kind of cleared the path for them, yeah. Yeah, and, and, it, and it was just bizarre, but it was, it's completely and utterly different now. I think there are, Liverpool will drop points along the way. And, you know, whether nine points is too much for City to to claw back, I don't know. But Liverpool certainly will drop points, lose a couple of games, and if Leicester can keep going, who knows? But obviously, when you look at the way that they play, and we're going to talk about Everton now, there almost couldn't be a better opponent for Leicester to have and a worse opponent for Everton to have. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it'd be interesting what what Bill Kenwright is sitting in the stand thinking, I could have gone for uh, Brendan Rodgers instead <laughs> of Marco Silva uh, if, I'd have, if I'd have perhaps not been so scared of what the Everton fans might have thought of it, um, the way he's taking them on. And it's going to be interesting how Everton approach the game, whether I think this will be a real show of what the players think of Marco Silva if they give everything then he'll, he'll stay in a job and if they roll over, that's probably it going into the derby. Probably won't, still won't be there. Well, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, we're very lucky to be joined by Everton Football Club journalist Ian Kroll. He works for the Liverpool Echo and he's got an interesting view on who he thinks might potentially be taken over for Silver should he be fired in the coming days. Realistically, there's only one for me and not many Everton fans might like it, but Rafael Benitez is obviously a former Liverpool manager who's got a you know a history with the red side and Merseyside. He's, he's obviously said a, a few touchy things in the past with regards to Everton, but that was a long time ago. Um, he is in China at the moment, as far as I'm aware, obviously earning a, a lot of money. But realistically, I think he's just... The manager that Everton need at the moment, and the most real, the most realistic one who who knows what he's doing. You look at the other options, the likes of Mikel Arteta has been banded around, Eddie Howe, you know, Mark Hughes. You know, they really, really just don't fit the bill for me either because they're just not good enough or they're just unproven. Whereas Rafa Benitez is, you know, as far as, far as I can recall, he's won a he's won a trophy in every single country that he's managed, including. You know, Champions League, you know, UEFA Cup as it was back then, Europa League with, with Chelsea. I, I just think Everton fans, if it if it was to happen and Silva was to go, then they just probably just need to, you know, get over it a little bit. And the season's not over by a long shot, by the way. It's certainly not. We're only four points from six and we're still in two cup, uh, cup competitions. So a stopgap manager, I just don't feel is the right call. You know, employing David Moyes till the end of the season, and then if he was to, you know, do a solid job, would he would he stay? I I, I doubt it. Then we're going to have to go through a whole process of hiring another manager. We need someone in now who knows what he's doing, um, who can, you know, work with the players, who can organise a defence, who can organise a midfield, and who knows what could happen in January and the type of player that Rafa Benitez could um, attract to the club. But it's also about the big games as well. That's where Everton have failed over the past couple of years. Um, semi-finals and finals, the, the final hurdle. That's where you know, Everton have struggled. But Rafa Benitez, I believe, knows how to get those teams o- over the line and uh, and win a trophy. Brilliant stuff. So obviously, a fairly boldish shout from Ian in terms of who he yeah. thinks could be the person to take over from from Silver should he be sacked. Obviously, he was relatively cagey on whether or not Silver would be out of a job following the Leicester game. But we'll, we'll address that. We'll address that in a second. But. 
Rafa Benitez, is he a realistic target for, for Everton? I consider it pretty unlikely, just because... Because of the Liverpool connection or something else? Not because of the Liverpool connection, because of his uh, employment at the moment. He's got two years left on his contract in China, which is, I think it's, someone was telling me it's twelve between 12 and £13 million pounds after tax. That's not bad. Decent cash in it, a decent wedge. I mean, I'd, I'd think about it. I mean, I'd probably have to take a pay cut, but yeah, I'd, I'd think about it. <laughs> and <laughs> apart from, I mean, he, he probably would want to go back. Well, he does want to go back, get back into the Premier League at some point. Um, but after the kind of salary that he's on, does it, is he also the other point in that the club he's with at the moment are very, are pretty happy with what he's doing. Yeah, He's got a two-year contract and whoever would have to buy him out of that contract, which... That's a hell of a lot of money to spend on Rafa Benitez. You've mm. got to be like yeah. properly all in yeah. that this is the guy, and I can't see Everton being that being that club. If you could remove the Liverpool connection away from it, do you think he would be a strong candidate? Do you think he would be the the ideal candidate for Everton? Short term, short term to the end of the season. Yeah, I think that's. But what, no more than that. I don't think so. No, I don't. I don't know why. I don't know why. I just you would. And the guys might think differently, but I just see him as a, a short-term thing, like similar to when he was at Chelsea, um, rather than a, a long-term prospect. I don't know. I think that if you if you get behind, if if the owners get behind him, um, he loves he loves he loves getting his teeth into a proper project. And if they if they let him be that all-encompassing power at a club, which not it's not it's, it's quite sort of old-fashioned that now, isn't it? You know, you know, sporting directors directors of football and what have you um, but Benitez likes to be that that all-seeing all, uh, omnipresent as he, as he was at Newcastle and that was yeah. why he ultimately fell out with, yeah. the, with and, and that's, that's what that's what he's, this project that he's got in China uh, as well he's he's in charge of everything he's in, he's in, he's in, char- he's in charge of the infrastructure of the club transfers everything, everything yeah um, and if Everton give him that kind of freedom then potentially yeah but um, I think yeah, Liverpool connection is, is the one I think but obviously when you look at the situation and, and Ian mentioned it there before in terms of the other names that are on the list and when you look at you know, the bookies' favourites there's only one man <laughs> pulling away from the pack and, and that isn't Rafa Benitez and Ian made his feelings fairly clear on this and, and I think it's going to be general consensus here between ourselves. David Moyes, he's the name that it won't go away and all conventional logic says, you mentioned it before we started recording Jonathan, of don't go back but it all seems to be pointing that way. Yeah, Everton's such a tough Tough job when you look at the people that came after Moyes in his previous role. You know, Robert, Roberto Martinez. I went to one of his early games and you just got the feeling the Everton fans were just never going to take to him his style of football. It was too, it was too it was too ambitious. It was too risky. This play, they went to three at the back. They signed Alcaraz. The fans didn't like it. He went. They got uh, Kuman. I, I thought it was a great appointment. Things quickly unravelled. Um, uh, Sam obviously was was never going to be the right choice. I, th- I think Everton fans are very difficult to please because the club just haven't been challenging for a long time. Um, and the last time they were challenging was when Moyes was there. And he was he was really bad bad luck with what happened with the Champions League, not qualifying. Um, he took them to some cup semi-finals, uh, and he's the man who can give a bit of hope to the fans and someone they they can believe him. So I can completely understand why they would want to go for him. I just think that over what's happened since he left the club, it it would be a bit of a gamble, and to try and bring back 
those 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 days that he had. Yeah, but you're swapping someone that rightly Everton fans have very little hope or very little confidence in in Marco Silva for someone as as Jonathan says that a handful of well not even a handful a few FA Cup fi- FA Cup semi finals strong finishes in the league where they were there or thereabouts in the Champions League qualification obviously they missed out the year Liverpool won it or the year after sorry there's not really that much positive there's, it, there's a huge amount of rose, tint, rose tinted glasses going on here and I think a crucial thing that keeps getting overlooked is the David Moyes of now is not the David Moyes that left Everton David Moyes left Everton and his stock was was high and was rising hence why he got the United drop job that's gone whack we've had Real Sociedad and West Ham since the United disaster. Sunderland. And Sunderland as well, of course. This is not the same David Moyes. This is a, a David Moyes seven or so years older. It, and it's not been a good period for him since Everton. He's, he's He doesn't really seem to be able to adapt his way of playing. Football has changed a lot even in the last five years. And he's still trying the same old methods. And the the notion that he'll come into Everton and change things or instill something seems a bit far-fetched. It does a bit. Um Jamie Carragher was on Sky earlier in the week uh, saying that quite a lot of his family and friends are obviously Evertonians and he was, wasn't he, when he was a kid and the none of them want Moyes. Like, no. That, that does seem to be a consensus in, in, in some. At all. Um, and it'd be kind of rightly so because as, jo- as John was saying before you don't want to go back. I mean, I think his I think his legacy was tainted slightly during Martin as his first season. Mm-hmm. Whenever Everton fans actually saw what football could be like, yes. <laughs> um, and obviously that didn't kind of work out, but they kind of got this, they got a taste for a little bit, yeah. something a bit more expansive. And now that's like six, seven years down the line. Um, Moyes, as you say, has, has had a really tough time of it, hasn't really changed. Has done kind of, West Ham he did okay. Yeah. Um, but. He's re- you it's know, telling that they didn't the want remit, to keep him though. Yeah, and the remit was so small as well. It's like there was. It's just like we'll keep us in the division, and then thanks very much. Um, I think. I, sp- I guess if Bill Kemright wanted him, mm. well, Bill Kemright would probably want him, whereas um, Mashiri probably wouldn't. And it'd be interesting to see who holds the holds the power there um, as to yeah. who who is the next manager. But I suspect it might be short term because Everton seems to be going in this cycle, don't they? Where we'll get someone in for six months and then hire a project manager. I think the word for for if Moyes was to come in would just be uninspiring. Like if he had such a, a sort of vitriolic six months under under Silva, where every you know Marco Silva's brilliant at making you believe in his projects, isn't he? And um, whatever that project, whatever is. that project is, now who knows? Because uh, blank not, envelope, yeah. Um, and it's not gone. It's not gone well. And if he if he if they if they get result at the weekend. Surely it's just a stay of execution. There's 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 a relationship that's broken between the fans, and if you if you go from that to David Moyes, you, if you're an Evertonian, you're not you're not going to be happy. Well, that's I just think the the mentality around the club is so stale at the moment that I think, and I touched on it before we started recording that there's all this chat about the Leicester game and could this be the end of Silver, but. Every Everton fan is only really thinking about one game and that's Liverpool midweek next week at Anfield. And the mentality around the derby and, and the terrible record that they have at Anfield in the post-Moyes era will be playing a role in that. And the derby means so much to Everton fans that 
I just cannot see Silva standing in the dugout at Anfield next week. At the minute, it's kind of like a hologram of who it'll be, but it, it doesn't look to be a, a smartly dressed young Portuguese man. Yeah, the one thing I would say for for Moyes was that he he had that he brought that fight to the side, you know, for derbies, but for home games, you know, Goodison Park was always a tough mm. place to go. It's not anymore. You know, Norwich go there and think they can win. The top six go there expecting to win, and that wasn't the case under Moyes. And you think that you'd, you'd think about that derby coming up on Wednesday. And if Moyes was in charge, do you think okay, they'll they'll go there and they'll give it? They won't get thrashed. They'll be in it till the ninetieth minute. They'll 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 be, they'll be fighting for it. And that's one thing I would say for Moyes if he was to get the job. Um, so it'd be interesting if if Silva does go. Obviously, I would be. I can't see that they would change it that quickly to get someone like Moyes in. So who who from could have back? another interim position? Yeah, um, or caretaker. Or, or caretaker. Oh yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> linguist Jack Gorn will be in to run through that when when Silver inevitably gets sacked. Well, before we wrap up, because you know Everton fans are not going to thank us for dragging this out. I'm just going to quickly go around. Jonathan, I'll go with you first. In a word, how long has Silver got left? Uh, until Sunday, I think he'll be gone after the game. And who do you see coming in to replace him? In, in the, whether, it, whether it's short term or, or longer, who do you see being Everton's next permanent manager? Permanent manager, I would. I think it may be. It might be time to look at someone like Eddie Howe. He, he's he's done as much as he can with Bournemouth. Everton might be a nice stop for him. And he's. Am I right in saying he's an Everton fan? Boy, Eddie Howe, Everton fan. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a potential. Would you follow on with that in terms of it being Sunday's the the end of Silver? I would say yeah. Sunday's Sunday be the end purely because, as you said, as Liverpool coming up. Otherwise, I'd have said probably a couple more games. Yeah, um, I would go with how I don't know whether how would go there. I don't know. Um, but who do you think if if you, if you say you'd like to see how there? Who do you think? What you know? Who do you think they're going to go for? I kind of the way it's go the way it's going or has been going for Everton over the last few years. I would not be surprised if Mark Hughes got it for six months. Hmm. Honestly. Oosh. Just for six months, and then then they spend the six months trying to get a, a bigger a bigger name in. They should have they should have gone for. They'll all be kicking themselves because they should, all should have gone for Mourinho and Tottenham beat them all to it. And Pete, would you follow on that Sunday? You don't see it being dragged out any longer, given the run of games they've got coming up. No, absolutely not. It'll be Unsworth in charge um, for, for the, the derby. derby. Um, Long term, I, I I'd like to see uh, Chris Wilder given a go. I think he'd be a great appointment. Would he leave? Sheffield United, given if you given what right, he sees is going on at Everton, if you give him the right project, I think he would. But if you, okay, but if you if you'd like to see Wilder, who do you think it will be, or do you think it could be Wilder? Do you think it's see that's a too much of a left field shout? I think I mean, it's probably a bit, a bit too much of a left field shout. I, th- I think Eddie Howe is the one. It's it's time, isn't it? It's mm. time. To, it's time to see Eddie Howe at another club, and I think that would fit him quite well. Maybe Deitch. Yeah, but they have gone for him before. As much as Everton tried to say they didn't, they, they clearly went for him before they got Allardyce because they, they wanted to think a little bit more long term, and and he opted to stay at Burnley. I think it would cost him about uh, between six and seven million to get Deitch out of his contract. But again, in, that's a hell of a lot of money. But in terms of investment, we're talking about an Everton team now that does have money. I think that's. I think Jack made a really good point about Mark Hughes. He's fourth favourite. Um, that that is that is. Again, uninspiring, but I think it's it, that is something that Everton would do. If if a club was going to do it, Everton would do it. Um, yeah. And 
He's rightfully fourth favourite, I think, because he, he will be considered, but that won't go well. <laughs> no, that not at not all. No. Well. I think I think if if ever there was going to be an appointment that would go worse than Moyes, it'd be Mark Hughes. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go against you all, and I'm gonna go with yeah, I agree. Uh, Sunday will be the end of Silver, but I'm I'm sticking with Moyes. I just think there's so much noise about him coming in. I, I think that's going to be so. We've two votes for Eddie Howe. One vote for Moyes, myself, and one vote for Mark Hughes. Probably the only vote Mark Hughes has ever won in his life. Um, and on that ridiculously, ridiculously positive note, we're going to call it a day. Thank you so much for joining me, gents. Pete, thanks as ever. Thank you. Jack, great to see you again. Oh, cheers. And Jonathan, hope you enjoyed your debut. Will you be signing a, a six-year contract with us or, or an interim yeah. basis? Yeah. We'll, we'll have to talk numbers and we'll see how we go. Yeah, but I think I'll be coming back. Smashing. Well, I'll get my people to talk to your people. And I've been Fergal Brennan. You've been listening to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Preview Show. As ever, we have a daily Premier League podcast where you can catch up on all the latest goings on on all 20 Premier League sides. And you can also catch up on the latest news on your own team. Simply ask your Alexa device to enable Sports Social. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you again very very soon football social daily premier league preview with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.